If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. A serious illness can be physically devastating, not to mention emotionally damaging because of isolation and its side effect of loneliness. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines the lonely feelings that often go hand in hand with serious illness, which were vividly described in Psalm 116. With the prescription for loneliness, here's David to introduce his message, The Lonely Sufferer. Well, I am sure that today I'm talking to someone, you may be homebound, you may be in the hospital, you may be under house care, and you're going through this um, experience of being extracted from the public, and now you're all by yourself except for the people that are caring for you. And suffering can be a time of great loneliness. David knew that. He wrote a psalm about it, Psalm 116. You ought to read that psalm if you can today. It's, it's not real long, but it's not a little short one either. In the psalm, he talks about his loneliness and his suffering. You will resonate with this, I promise you. And we're going to talk about it today and tomorrow right here on Turning Point. By the way, you can get the uh, material that goes with this series. It's a study guide called Overcoming Loneliness, 140 pages of notes and outlines on all the lessons that you're hearing every day. Wonderful, uh, wonderful source for a small group study. Um, then there's a CD package you can get with the audio teaching that you're listening to on the radio replicated in all of the lessons organized there for you. And then the resource for the month of August is probably one of the great resources that you could get. And here's how you get this one. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of August and ask for your copy of this beautiful gift book, God Has Not Forgotten You. And we'll send it to you. Um, the subtitle is, He is With You Even in Uncertain Times. And that's true. This book is beautifully uh, beautifully designed with all kinds of brilliant colors that just cheer you up when you look at them. And inside uh, this 190-page hardcover book, there are 10 chapters that provide comfort and encouragement when you may feel alone. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during this challenging time in your life. Please ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Let's get started with Psalm 116, The Lonely Sufferer. The loneliness of suffering. Some of you have felt it, and others of you have watched it. But no one has described it more beautifully than one who, out of the experience of hospital suffering, penned these words. It's when the lights went out and the room was suddenly plunged into darkness that the awful awareness came the traffic at the hospital went on like an uncontrolled fever outside the door, but inside that room it became still, so that you could sense the walls and the room itself growing smaller. 
I was never a lonely person up to then. At least, I don't recall being lonely. But now I knew what it was. My family had gone home together to the familiar safe place, but I was here alone, isolated from them, facing the uncertainties of what hospitals mean. Up to this moment, I had joked and laughed with friends and family because it all seemed like kind of a lark. But now I knew. And I suddenly swallowed hard against that pressure in my chest. I was a little girl again, wanting someone to put on a light somewhere to cut the darkness so I could get to sleep. I became terrified by the feeling. And sleep was a long time coming, hours of trying to push my mind off of the emptiness, the fear, the darkness, and now the hospital itself slowly growing quieter, almost eerie until there was only silence. If you've been there, you know exactly what she was talking about as she wrote. I wish I could locate Psalm 116 in the life of the psalmist. One of the difficult things as you try to interpret the psalms quite often is to try to remember or to figure out where David was in his own life when he wrote these words. And I frankly can't tell you where Psalm 116 was penned or where David was in his own life. It's quite possible that it is simply a presentation of David's own spiritual renewal. But if it is, it is couched in the words of physical suffering and hurt and delivery and provides a wonderful opportunity for us to listen to the poetic mind of the great Old Testament singer as he describes for us the emotion that he felt as he went through the period of suffering and despondency for whatever reason we know not. The first thing we notice as we read the psalm is that David has wonderfully captured the characteristics of sickness. In descriptive terms, he paints for us the picture of what it is like. In key words, throughout the psalm, we see it, and we hear it, and we can almost feel it. First of all, he describes it as discomfort. Isn't it interesting that in the third verse, he actually uses the word pain. The pains of hell got hold on me, he writes. And I can't help but remember what C.S. Lewis wrote some years ago when he said, that God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Think of that. Pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And David said that one of the characteristics of sickness is discomfort, it's pain. He goes on in verse 3 to describe it as despair. The sorrows of death compass me and the pains of Sheol got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow, he wrote. Trouble and sorrow. He says in verse 8 that another characteristic of sickness is a kind of depression. He speaks in the 8th verse of his tears and of his eyes watering in tears from his feet nigh unto falling. My friend who has written 
of sickness in the hospital goes on to describe the kind of depression that overtook her as the hospital experience became more vivid in her mind. She said, everything about me was on a chart. I wasn't a name except when they had to remind themselves and check my wristband. All of my body chemistry, its mixtures and everything was on that chart. They knew what my blood was like, what pills I took and when, what my elimination habits were. They even knew through a monitoring system how I breathed, how my heart reacted to every move. All of what was supposed to be me was on a chart bound in a leather jacket. But no one bothered to know me, really. That I was a gregarious person, a person who liked to laugh or ask what made me cry and what made me happy. Nobody seemed to care whether I liked to go fishing or boating or to baseball games or what kind of food I liked to eat. None of that was relevant. I was not a person, but an object for sticking and probing and testing and experimenting. They stood over me and they hummed or they grunted or they sighed or they whispered in the corner of the room. But seldom did anyone tell me what it was they were whispering about. It was all so very secret, but it all went on that chart. So I was left to my own imagination of what was wrong, how serious and whether it meant a life of inactivity with my job on the line or becoming a burden to my family. After a while, I sank deeper into the doldrums. I thought I was strong enough to lick anything that happened to be, but lying there day after day with my fears, playing havoc with my mind and emotions, I was actually reduced to being a little child. One night, I let the tears come, and that was a shock to me to realize that I had come to a place of such total helplessness and despair and anxiety that I lost control of myself." End of quote. Depression. Oftentimes it is a part of illness and especially illness that is serious. David goes on to say that along with the depression there is a kind of dependence that you don't like. He speaks in verse 8 of his feet being kept from falling. And please notice that it is not something he is doing for himself, but he has become dependent upon someone outside of himself. I don't think there's anything more difficult about the hospital than to recognize that you're no longer in charge of yourself when you get there. I used to live in dread of going to the hospital in Fort Wayne. Almost all of our college and career ministry there was made up of the nurses from the Parkview School of Nursing, all of whom worked at the Parkview Hospital, which was our hospital. And I used to wake up thinking how terrible it would be as the pastor of our church to be so totally dependent upon all of these people that I knew. And you know, when you go to the hospital, you leave your dignity at home. You don't take it with you. Someone has said that we spend all of our lives learning how to clothe ourselves for the sake of modesty. And as one person put it, trying to find the best fashion to dress up. All of that unravels in the mockery of that horrible contraption called a hospital smock. <laughs> and someone mentioned to me not long ago that the one thing you can be sure about is that no matter where you sit down, it's cold. <laughs> 
There's something very undignified about the way they dress you up when you go to the hospital and somehow you leave all your dignity behind. You become totally dependent. David goes on to say that being sick is being despondent. Verses 10 and 11, he mentions, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. In other words, he's crying out to God. In some sense, he's looking at the world as if it has played a mad joke on him. And everybody is a liar. Nobody's telling him the truth. I can almost hear him crying out, why has God done this to me? Why am I like this? Would somebody please explain to me why I have to be where I am experiencing what I'm experiencing? And if you've talked to many people who've gone through serious illness, you know, as I do, that many of them fight in their inner hearts with all kinds of guilt. There's always a preacher somewhere on the radio or television or in some magazine who will come along to help them with that by telling them that they're sick because of sin. There are many reasons for sickness, and only one of them is sin. That God often allows sickness to come into the lives of some of the most godly people who ever walked upon the face of this earth. And to tell them that one of the reasons they may not be sick is perhaps God has not yet come to the place where he can trust them with sickness. Oh, how wonderful and helpful it is to be able to liberate people who are punishing themselves in the midst of sickness, even as I believe David is doing as he cries out against the world that seems to be lying to him. And to tell them that there is no reason for them to feel that emotion. A young girl died in the church I pastored who died of a very serious and strange disease called Ray's Syndrome. Comes upon children usually after some other illness and catches them with a high fever and ultimately very quickly takes them if they are not treated properly. One of the girls in our congregation, in a family of uh, mom and dad that I'd had the privilege to lead to Christ, was taken out of this life in just a matter of 24 hours with Ray's syndrome. And oh, how awful and hard it was to deal with that family and minister to them. Someone told me it would be helpful for me to read the book called Morning Song. And between the time when that little girl died and when I had her funeral, I had a trip to take where I had to preach. And I stuck the book in my briefcase, and on the plane, I read it all the way through. I have to honestly admit I washed the contacts out of my eyes two or three times in that trip. Because it's an honest and forthright book. deals with this whole problem of guilt during times of sickness. And I remember... The person who had poetically described this whole process. I'd like to share with you this particular presentation. It's called Remembered Sin. And this is the way it goes. I made a lash of my remembered sins. I wove it firm and strong with cruel tip. And though my quivering flesh shrank from the scourge, with steady arm I plied the ruthless whip. For surely I, who had betrayed my Lord, must needs endure this sting of memory. But though my stripes grew sore, there came no peace. And so I looked again to Calvary. His tender eyes beneath the crown of thorns met mine. His sweet voice said, My child, 
Although those oft-remembered sins of thine have been like crimson scarlet, they are now like snow. My bloodshed here has washed them all away, and there remaineth not the least dark spot, nor any memory of them, and so should you remember sins which God forgot? I stood there trembling, bathed in light, though scarce my tired heart dared to hope. His voice went on, Look at thy feet, my child. I looked, and lo, the whip of my remembered sins was gone. Oh, if I could say anything to you who may be suffering, who may be sick, who may be sorrowing, I would say that the God we serve is not a God who spends his life in retaliating some past and confessed and remembered no more sin. And if you choose not to forgive yourself for that which God has forgiven you, then you have elevated your standards higher than those of God. I remember one time when a young girl said to me after she had sinned and had asked God to forgive her, she says, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And I said, oh, you have higher standards than does the Lord? He can forgive you, but you cannot forgive yourself. And all of a sudden, just like a light went on, she realized that if God has forgiven us, we have been forgiven by the highest court of appeal in the land. There's one last characteristic before we look at another section of the psalm, and I don't know what to call this except it just seems to be dread. Dread. Verse 3 describes it. The sorrows of death compassed me. Verse 8. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. And certainly death is in the context, for verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The concept of dread here is the sense that there is no hope, maybe there's no other way. I don't know if you've ever heard a person cry who's deathly ill. I don't know if you've ever heard them call out to God, but there's a kind of earnestness and intensity in their prayer that you don't hear oftentimes. Oh God, help me. It seems as if David has captured the characteristics of sickness quite well. But I want you to notice that he doesn't just describe the situation. He also tells us what he did in the midst of it. And I'd like for us to look not now at the characteristic of sickness, but I want us to look now at the cry of sickness. And there are three things that I want you to note in the psalm. The first one is in verse 1 and 2. And I'd like to put this over those two verses. I cried and he heard me. I cried and he heard me. Verse 1, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. And verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. And the picture in the second verse is most illustrative of the phrase in the first verse. He heard me because he inclined his ear to me. And in my mind's eye, though I know that God is a spirit, I see the person of God leaning over the banisters of heaven to hear the cry of his hurting child. 
And God is listening with that kind of intensity when we cry, and especially when we cry unto him out of our sickness and our sorrow and our suffering. The psalmist says, I cried and he heard me. Notice secondly, I cried and he heard me, and verse 7 says, I cried and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. In other words, God not only heard me, but he helped me. He dealt with me, and he did it bountifully, above and beyond all that I could think. He gave me what I needed, though it may not have been what I asked for. He dealt with me bountifully. I cried and he heard me, but I cried and he helped me. And then notice verse 8, I cried and he healed me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And verse 16 adds, thou hast loosed my bonds. So often people have been hurt, desperately hurt, because somebody has told them that it is God's will for everybody to be healed. And certainly anyone who reads the New Testament would know better than that. How many times did our Lord walk into a situation where there were all manner of people who were hurting and sick unto death, and he chose one out of the midst and healed them while he left the rest in their condition? Though it is not true to say that it is God's will to heal everybody, it is true to say that everybody will ultimately be healed. Some will be healed here and some will be healed there. There's coming a day, my friend, when the Lord is going to come or we're going to go to be with him and the scripture says we shall see him and when we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and all of the disease of our body will melt away and we'll be whole like him. If we aren't healed here, we'll be healed there. And it was with that confidence and in that confidence that David exalts the Lord. Is that not one of the reasons why verse 15 is in the text? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious. It ushers them in to absolute wholeness of body and spirit. Well, David goes on now at the end of this psalm and he has told us about the characteristics of sickness and he's told us about his own response to that as he cried unto the Lord and he heard him and he cried unto the Lord and he helped him and he cried unto the Lord and he healed him. But now David asks a good question. In verse 12, he poses this question, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? What can I learn out of this experience? What should my response be to this that I've endured? and gone through? That's a good question, one that we don't often ask. Sometimes we are so obsessed with getting well, we forget that God is trying to teach us something and we don't ask the right questions. David asked the right question, what should I render unto the Lord for his benefits to me? But David, don't you understand that God doesn't need anything from you? Psalm 50, 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. What can you give God? Mm -hmm. Well, we find out. And uh, you'll have to wait till tomorrow because there's a list. 
from this psalm that tells you what you can bring to God. It's pretty cool. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for the end of this message. We're talking about the lonely sufferer. This series has been um, prepared for you in it's prepared for you to take away from the series and use it in your own life. The series Overcoming Loneliness is featured in a beautiful study guide, 140 pages of notes and outlines, questions for you to answer and practical things for you to use to discuss this. It's a beautiful um, source for a small group study. I encourage you to use these study guides in that way because the interaction is just great and it's all riveted to the Word of God. And uh, there's a CD package you can get if you want to review the messages um, audibly. And there's a book that we're making available to everyone during the month of August called God Has Not Forgotten You, a 190-page hardcover gift book with 10 chapters providing comfort and encouragement when you feel alone. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during challenging times, and this beautiful book is yours for a gift of any size during this month. Do your best. Be as generous as you can be. But whatever you send, we'll send you the book. Send a gift to Turning Point during the month of August of any size, and then ask for the book. And when you ask for the book, we'll send it to you. We want you to have it as our way of saying thank you for your investment in this ministry, not just here in this country, but around the world. Well, have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow with part two of The Lonely Sufferer. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Overcoming Loneliness, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's reassuring new book, God Has Not Forgotten You, a comforting reminder that God is working all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Overcoming Loneliness here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Pastor Erwin Lutzer wrote, What a tragedy it would be to climb the ladder of success only to get to the top 
and discover that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. There's certainly nothing wrong with success. God is a success. Jesus Christ was successful. The Apostle Paul succeeded in what he set out to do. Many godly people are successful. The biggest challenge in success comes in making sure our ladder is leaning against the right wall. For as the Apostle Paul wrote in one of my favorite verses, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of success on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.